When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, ancient stars and space stuff. It's actually really difficult to fish out an old star out of the sea of re- relatively recent stars. And so we're talking about 12, 13 billion years old. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. And so we're looking for the stars that formed soon after the Big Bang. So we are piecing together the physical and chemical uh, conditions of the early universe because our old stars preserve all that information for us. Oh, I think it's great because, you know, these explosions are really energetic, it's cosmic fireworks, and you just blow your newly created elements bloody everywhere. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So whenever we have someone like our first guest, I think it's best for me to just skip the introduction because everything that I'm going to say is wrong and just get right to them. Our first guest is an astronomer and stellar archaeologist who has discovered some of the oldest stars in the universe. This is Dr. Anna Friebel. So how do you find old stars? It's actually really difficult to fish out an old star out of the sea of relatively recent stars. And the sun is actually a really young star. It's only 4.6 billion years old. (laughs) So um, that's what astronomers consider young, which means if you want to find an old star, it has to be a lot older. And so we're talking about 12, 13 billion years old. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. And so we are looking for the stars that formed soon after the Big Bang. We have to take a lot of data, a lot of images, and also something that's called spectroscopy. And and then we have to fish out the old guys by making one or making use of one big assumption or sort of theorem that we're operating under. And so what we're um, utilizing is the fact that the universe was made from just hydrogen and helium after the Big Bang. So that's how it all started. Pretty simple. Just two elements and then stars and eventually galaxies formed. But with every star that was, or stars or generations of stars that formed, heavy elements were made, heavier than hydrogen and helium. And so with time and with more stellar generations, more and more of all the elements that we know and love in the periodic table um, were made, which means uh, when you look for the oldest stars, we have to find the stars that have the least amount of all these heavy elements in them because it means they must have formed at the time when very, very little of all that junk had been made. And so this is... How we, how we find and fish out the, the oldest guys through their chemical composition. When you find some of those older stars, are they still around at all anymore or are they long gone? Great question. Yes, they are still around. So these guys that we are trying to find uh, and even finding once in a while are actually smaller than the sun. And there's a weird thing in astronomy that the small stars live really long and the big stars, they party too hard and they explode pretty quickly and and are done with. So if you want to find an old star, it necessarily has to be low mass. Um, And our guys are sort of 0.6 or 0.8 times the mass of the sun, so a little bit more than half the mass of the sun. And that means that they have lifetimes, expected lifetimes of 15 to 20 billion years. And we catch them now where they are sort of like 12, 13 billion years old. So they have uh, 
a little while longer to go. <laughs> there are many, many young stars, but here and there, one in a thousand, one in a ten thousand. There is an old guy lurking, and we use the biggest telescopes in the world to eventually spot them. They look actually really boring when you take a picture. <laughs> Other than kind of finding them, what, what can they essentially tell us about the universe, finding these old stars? Yeah, that's, that's where it gets interesting. So coming back to the fact that we determine through a series of observations and analyses the chemical composition of these objects, we actually learn what the chemical composition of the early universe was. Because the neat thing about stars is that, you know, every star forms from a big gas cloud and uh, the gas uh, cools and clumps together and then eventually forms the star. And whatever is in the gas will eventually end up in the star. So the star preserves the composition of the gas cloud by the virtue of having formed. And then the star just sits there for billions and billions of years until we come with our looking glass um, to check them out. Uh, so these old stars, for those of you who know a little bit more about astronomy, they burn hydrogen to helium in their core for energy generation purposes, but nothing else. So all the heavier elements that we observe in, in such a star are uh, not formed in the star, but they, the star inherited those elements, those atoms from the birth gas cloud that were originally made by a previous generation star. And that's where it gets interesting. So we have these tin cans of beans floating around in the galaxy that uh, we just need to open and out pops, uh, you know, just like a time capsule, information from the past, which is this chemical composition. And uh, from that, we can then piece back together what these previous generations of stars were like. And you have to go a little bit on a tangent again. So we already said the universe was made from just hydrogen and helium after the Big Bang. And uh, there was actually darkness in the universe because that's just atoms floating around. That's not terribly interesting, actually, <laughs> at least not from the light point of view. And But eventually the first stars formed. And when you want to make something of just hydrogen and helium gas, it's actually really difficult. It doesn't get very cold, so it doesn't get very clumpy. and doesn't get very small. So the first stars were very big and very massive. But they brought the first light. And uh, we already said also that the big stars explode really quickly. So these first stars, they, they came and they went. <laughs> Kaboom. <laughs> so massive, they left pretty quickly within a few million years, right? We've been talking about timescales of billions of years. So millions of years, really short. They exploded and left behind a signature of elements that they had cooked up in their course. And those are elements all the way up to iron and even heavier elements. So a good cross-section of what we have in the periodic table. And all that stuff got sprinkled out into the universe. And then from this slightly enriched hydrogen helium gas, all my little stars form. Right? And so by studying the chemical composition of my stars, we can then figure out how did this previous first star explode? What mass might have had? What was the explosion energy? Did it explode in, in a spherical uh, setup or in some kind of asymmetric fashion uh, and all sorts of other things? Um, and then the whole thing must have happened in a proto-galaxy. Stars don't just float around in space. They're usually in the galaxy. <laughs> our stars are uh, in our Milky Way galaxy. But uh, in the early universe, they actually formed in small proto-galaxies and that brings us immediately to another question, namely, how did these old stars get from a small proto-galaxy into the Milky Way? Uh, so that's, that's really exciting. We're going to learn about that as well if we study loads of old stars. But um, yeah, so we are piecing together the physical and chemical uh, conditions of the early universe because our old stars preserve all that information for us. I think, you know, for somebody like myself, the big question coming out of anything like that is, do we, can this tell us where we came from? Like how we got here? 
Is there any indication that we might be on the path to that kind of an answer through this kind of study? Um, yes. Well, I can't provide you the answer, but I can tell you we're, we're contributing to the path because, uh, of course, humans came about as a result of the, the biological evolution on Earth. But if you want to actually make humans or cells or anything <laughs> that lives, you, you actually need these elements. So, you know, when I ask you, uh, where do you think, you know, carbon comes from or iron or something, you might say like, mm, you know, maybe from the core of the earth. And I was like, well, yes, but where does it really come from? <laughs> um, our planet has the same age as the sun because they all form together in the pre-solar nebula. That, by the way, was a gas cloud, the, the sun's birth gas cloud that was enriched by generations of stars and supernova explosions over 8 billion years. So a lot of junk has gone into that gas cloud from which the sun formed. The sun has a very messy chemical composition as a result. Um, but you can already guess where, where I'm heading, namely the difference between uh, the early universe 13 billion years ago and the uh, the emergence of the sun is exactly this threshold when were there enough of or when there when was enough of all the elements in the universe to actually form a first planet um, right so we study the chemical what's called the chemical evolution of the uh, the universe and that is a prerequisite for any planet formation and hence any biological evolution on Earth. And once we have a full model for this uh, chemical evolution of our galaxy and how it all went, then uh, we can try to figure out when the first planets may have arrived, uh, emerged. Uh, and so that's a, that's a really interesting question. I'm actually involved in a project where we're trying to make progress on that front. You know, how, how old are the oldest planets? We, we don't actually know when, when there, there was enough material in the universe to, to make a, a dirt ball <laughs> like a planet. But I can tell you one thing. We already know that carbon is not just the most important element for us folks here on this planet and, and all life and plants and whatnot but uh, carbon probably also played a very crucial role very early on um, uh, in the formation of these first old stars because carbon acts as a coolant in the gas together with oxygen and um, that actually turns out to be really <laughs> needed when you want to make small long-lived stars like the like the sun and, and my little guy. So no carbon in the universe, no sun, no humans. So I can kind of tell you the opposite. <laughs> Let's say on a scale of one to 10, one, we know absolutely kind of nothing about this field of study. 10, we have everything figured out right now. Where do you think that we probably are? Uh, it really depends, right? Because some things we've got really figured out. And then other things we really haven't figured out at all. If you look at, you know, dark energy and dark matter, we have figured out an awful lot, but we have also figured out. So I would give that like an eight or something. But then we have also at the same time figured out that we know nothing about nothing because we can't describe dark energy or dark matter. But yet we know we have it exactly mapped out that's the weird thing about astronomy so i'd give that like a one <laughs> so we we're a bit of a weird field because we study such big questions on big time scales and big you know spatial scales um and we're really quite sure about some details but that can that can still mean that you know really well that you know nothing <laughs> If that makes sense. I mean, yeah. But I mean, I guess that's at least a start, right? Like we really know that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So we have a few really big known unknowns. And uh, dark matter has been mapped out and we know it exists around our galaxy and all galaxies for decades. But we still don't know what dark matter is, right? And so this ambivalent kind of stuff is what, what keeps many astronomers hooked 
right? Because there's always something to figure out, but you never know if that's like the final answer. <laughs> you just go from one mountaintop to finding yet another mountaintop, but, you know, we're, we're all stupid enough to keep going because it's fascinating and we're all hooked. <laughs> if everybody figures out dark matter and dark energy, do you expect it to be completely huge changes? Like, you know what? We thought these, we thought this star was 13 billion years old. Turns out it's 13,000 years. I mean, something, do you really expect like huge dramatic changes once yeah, this no, is figured no, out? The age of my stars, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> um, um, again, it's a yes and a no answer. Um, most, you know, the, the world we live in, that and we what we can see, we have mapped out really well. And um, even if we know what we don't see or can suddenly describe, let's say, what's under the surface, right? It doesn't change what you see above the surface. It's just you know what's, what's deep down in the ocean. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it, nothing will, will change in your, your daily life. But, of course, what does change dramatically is, is sort of the mental picture. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Oh, 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 yeah, of course. Bigger mystery, how it started or how it ends? The universe? Yeah. Well, we know nothing about how it's going to end. So I would say I would definitely want to know <laughs> how we are going to end. Um, I mean... Yeah, we could totally, you know, the universe could fly apart forever. The universe could end up in a big crunch. Um, lots of models out there, lots of opinions. Nobody knows. We have to get a much more clever and need much bigger telescopes to come up with, with additional observations to uh, solidify certain predictions to, to make, uh, to gain a better insight on how, how it might end. But really before that, a few other cool things will happen. The sun will turn into a red giant and eat us all on planet Earth. So actually we, <laughs> we will no longer be able to ponder the end. And then, of course, uh, Andromeda, our sister galaxy, will merge with the Milky Way and will become something that has been dubbed Milcomeda, so a joint galaxy with a twice the size supermassive black hole because both of our supermassive black holes will have merged. By the way, supermassive black holes, that is the topic that the recent physics Nobel Prize was given out to Andrea Ghez from UCLA and Reinhard Genzer from Germany. So that's also a really cool and fascinating topic. So it seems like either way, we probably need to figure out how to get off the earth. Yeah, that, that would be good. But I recently wrote uh, a little column and I said, like, Mars is not for folks who don't like masks because Mars, if we want to get onto Mars, we'd be a little bit safer from the sun, but not too much. Um, we'd live in a completely uh, isolated, artificial environment. And I think our current mask wearing is a good exercise for what life in a suit um, would be like on Mars. <laughs> Is the sun special? Besides the fact that we're here, like if we weren't yeah. here, would the oh, sun well, be a special? Sun is special in my heart, in everyone's heart, because the sun has a special name too. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, no. <laughs> the sun is super boring. It's a yellow, small dwarf star. There are gazillions out there. Um, nothing, nothing particular about it. However, of course, the sun does have all the planets around it. And so that kind of makes it special. But then recent studies suggest that every other star has at least one planet. So, you know, that makes for an awful lot of stars with a bunch of planets around them. What, what do you consider to be the most interesting star? Well, my little old guys, of course, but I'm, I'm highly biased, so it's a bit of an unfair question. <laughs> I are, like are, 13, 27, minus 23, 27. Oh, God, I forgot my own star. I'm H.E. 13, 27, minus 23, 26. That's it. Um, that, that one is a second-generation star formed as one of the earliest uh, um, low-mass old stars. So that, that one's my baby. When when you talk about low mass, like how how big would it be compared to the sun? Yeah, so, so we're always talking about 0. 0.6 to 0. 0.8 
So, you know, sort of two thirds the mass of the sun. That gives you that, that lifetime of 15 to 20 billion years. Is that why they're able to live so long? Like they have to be a certain smaller than a certain size in order to uh, kind yes. of... Yeah, so the sun, I, I should have mentioned that the sun has a lifetime of 10 billion years. It's always a good number to know for a dinner conversation if we ever get stale. <laughs> um, and um, if the star is less massive, it will live correspondingly longer. Um, so our guys... Uh, two-thirds of the mass uh, live something like 20, 15 to 20 billion years. And then, um, uh, let's say, a 0.2 solar mass star would live like a trillion years or something. It, it gets it gets quite long. <laughs> what, is that just because they burn the fuel slower? Yes, they're, they're super, super efficient. They're not very bright, and so they don't need a lot of energy. And then just sit there and just kind of one atom at a time. <laughs> Okay, but, two more at the time. But. but they're still big enough that would they still have planets too? I mean, um, that's uh, that's uh, being researched. Um, there are some planets found around uh, sort of what's called red dwarfs or small, small reddish stars. Um, how low it can go is a little bit unclear because. Um, you know, once you get down in stellar mass, then eventually you'll hit the, the sort of the border to where it's a, a big planet. There, there are a few sort of intermediate stages in between um, because you need enough mass to actually start nuclear fusion in the core. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that that's a topic that's um, that's much researched. Um, how how that goes? Because many of the small stars also orbit each other. Are they, when you find these really old ones, are they closer to the center or are they like farther out away from the center of the galaxy? Great question. So the old stars, yeah, that, that's the question we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> um, the So as I mentioned, the, we live in a big disk galaxy, so a spiral disk galaxy, and the disk is enveloped by what we call the halo. So it's a, it's a big round spherical fluffy thing uh, that consists of stars. So it's a stellar envelope. And um, that's basically the junkyard of the galaxy. Uh, so let me go back to the early universe here. All these old stars, and you know, any, any star that formed early on in the universe, they had to form in small proto-galaxies. And uh, we have gravity in, in the universe everywhere. If I drop my pen... Um, it, it's going to fall down because of gravity. And um, gravity is a little bit like money. It, you know, ma money goes where money is and mass goes where mass is. <laughs> so you had a bigger proto-galaxy. That one is going to eat up its less massive neighbors. So a little ambitious proto-galaxy in the early universe were, would, would have eaten all its neighbors. Then it would have grown, which means it has <laughs> even more mass and would attract uh, even more further away little, uh, you know, proto-galaxies and gas blobs and stuff. And so that's how our Milky Way came about. And it, it wasn't always a spiral galaxy. It started off as a blob. That was just a little bit bigger than its neighboring blobs. And um, the Milky Way continues to eat small dwarf galaxies <laughs> as meals. Uh, we have a whole bunch that orbit the Milky Way right now, so they're gravitationally bound, and they are just being trapped there, uh, ready to be eaten <laughs> at a moment's notice. Um, yeah, we, we see some dwarf galaxies being eaten, and we can actually see some what's called stellar streams that are in this junkyard, and they are, you know, they already have been eaten. So they have been completely disrupted. And all that's left of that galaxy is a stellar stream. You just take a galaxy and stretch it apart. All the stars pop out into the galaxy. And there you have it. So all stars were eventually uh, lucky or unlucky, depends on your viewpoint, uh, to, to be in a dwarf galaxy that was eaten by the Milky Way. And that's how they got into the Milky Way. And that's how they end up in the outskirts of the galaxy. And that's why I call it the junkyard. Oh, I feel bad for the little galaxies that we've eaten. Yeah, Aww. it's a rough place out there. <laughs> Eat or get eaten. <laughs> this question, I don't know. This, this, is this either a brilliant question or a stupid question? 
which star would require the most sunscreen? Ah, good question. I like it. Um, if we were to make our sun a little bit more yellow, then we definitely need more sunscreen because we'd be shifting the what we call spectral energy distribution further to the UV spectral range. But, of course, it gets a little bit more complicated uh, in real life. Um, just reduce the ozone layer a little bit and we need a lot more sunscreen. <laughs> Go up to high altitude, you need a lot more sunscreen because you're closer to the sun. Move a planet a little bit closer in, we need a whole lot of more sunscreen. Uh, so, <laughs> But, uh, yes, a redder, a redder star would, would be less dangerous to us. What is the holy grail of your research? What is the thing that you would most like to find? Mm, good question, too. Um, well, I've, I'm lucky enough that I can already say that uh, I have already found a lot of cool things. And, of course, I hope to find more, but I don't want to be too greedy either. Um, you know, I have found these oldest stars. I have identified some of these earliest proto-galaxies. Um, or surviving analogs of those earliest galaxies, I should say. The earliest ones are probably gone by now. Um, so I've been, I've been really quite fortunate with, with all my discoveries. But I would definitely like to, um, you know, not, not so much discover objects, um, <laughs> although I keep doing that, but really going to get a, a deep understanding of how this assembly process really worked that I just described, right, with the dwarf galaxies getting eaten. Um, and I'm particularly interested in learning more about individual nucleosynthesis processes and how they're operated. Uh, one in particular makes the very heaviest elements, including thorium and uranium. And they are radioactive elements, and that enables age-dating uh, cosmic objects. Um, the problem with that right now there, we, we still... There are still some major gaps in our understanding. But once we have that, once we know that better, we can model the chemical evolution of those elements better. And then that has to be meshed with this galaxy assembly because that's the real life in the universe, right? We, we can't just calculate <laughs> on, a, on a piece of paper. It has to be all done with big uh, simulations and it gets really complicated really quickly. But uh, that's sort of the, the holy grail, really understanding the chemical evolution um, as part of this galaxy assembly to really understand um, how, how all the old stars got into the Milky Way, how the younger stars formed in the Milky Way, why they have the chemical compositions that they do, and um, where does all the gold come from? Of course, I want to know that. That's that's really the big question. Like, where is the goal? It's always, where is the goal? Does every star make every element? Or does some stars just make much more of a certain kind of element? Uh, that's a great question, uh, because that's that's something that, that often is misunderstood. Uh, so most stars actually make hardly any anything. So all the little guys make nothing, make almost nothing. Yeah, it's only the big stars because they explode. We haven't talked about that yet either. So little stars, they just sit there, eventually turn into white dwarfs and just lock up the material and not much is happening. They're not massive enough to, to get upset and explode, but the big guys do. And then they make, um, depends a little bit on the circumstances, but they make a lot of elements in the, in the periodic table per, per go, per explosion. And then there are special processes that go on here and there and um, all the, the the rest of the elements are made that way so um, it, it kind of depends a little but um, yeah it's it's a pretty selective process actually so they just kind of blow up and shoot all this stuff out into space and then it gets it's Man. awesome <laughs> is that I mean, okay, if you were going to design a process to make a universe, is that an efficient way to do it or an inefficient way to do it? Oh, I think it's great because, you know, these explosions are really energetic, it's cosmic fireworks, and you just blow your newly created elements 
bloody everywhere. <laughs> have we have we seen any? Like actually uh, seen any, seen any? Yes, if you were older than well, thirty four, well forty, really. <laughs> so in nineteen eighty seven, there was a supernova explosion in the Large Magellanic Cloud. Uh, the Large Magellanic Cloud is, together with the Small Magellanic Cloud, the, they are the two largest dwarf galaxies that are orbiting the Milky Way. And um, in that one, a supernova went off. So a big, massive star, something like 20 times the mass of the sun, exploded. And that was seen uh, on the night sky and even in good conditions on the, on the daytime not the sky, daytime sky. I was, I was one. Yeah. And then there are a few historic um, ones as well. Um, I forgot the exact years, but uh, Galileo saw one in 16-something rather, and in 1572, I think, there was another one in, in 1054, I think. So there are historic records of um, stars appearing in the daytime, and um, there have been some models that sort of show that, you know, that's consistent because um, when you had a supernova go off, you know, the, the blast wave keeps traveling and we can actually see the, the blast wave left over. It's called a supernova remnant. And you can, with some sophisticated measures, you can figure out how fast that sort of ring is, uh, is, is, is um, traveling apart. And then you can calculate back when when it was basically all at a point, and that gives you a rough de- date of of when the supernova exploded. And I think that's been done for most of these historic uh, things. And so they have been supernovae, and so, but supernova remnants are associated with these dates. If you could get away with it, what would you secretly name a star? <laughs> well. Um, people have named stars after me, like Anna star, because they couldn't remember HE 1327 minus 2326. So I don't blame them. Um, so I think I'd be okay because uh, most of the stars that I've been working with had, have these kinds of names already. And I like numbers. So I'm, I'm okay with their clumsy names. And if anyone wants to call the stars after me or anything, then I'm okay with that too. As long as we're talking about the same star. <laughs> That's, I mean, when, when we look up at the night sky, let's say you're in the middle of nowhere, no light pollution, Antarctica, wherever, and we look up at the night sky, have astronomers mapped every single one of those stars? Uh, yeah, definitely. What, what, what you can see in, with your eyes, you know, the naked eye uh, in, in the sky, is, there are a gazillion catalogs out there that record um, all stars much, much fainter than what we can see with the naked eye. What's, what's we, on the website, you can, you know, put coordinates in it or something and you'll, you'll see what's, what's there. That's pretty much all the questions I have. What's coming up next for you? What are you working on now? I am currently looking more into this uh, process that that gives us these very heavy elements. And um, I'm trying to figure out how good that process is. That might sound a bit weird, but um, it seems to be very universal. Always give us the same element ratios, but sometimes there are little deviations. And I'm trying to figure out why there are little deviations and I have some clues, although I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> That's my secret. Um, and to just kind of see, um, is it is it the nucleosynthesis process that's you know being that's that's off here and there because it doesn't you know it's a little bit wonky perhaps, or is it the conditions in the gas cloud that might uh, result in some wonkiness here and there? So. Um, I'm just doing very fine, uh, fine-tuning work, um, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> it is that is is that kind of in terms of like the deviations, the difference between essentially how it makes it versus how it was formed? Um, yeah, kind of. 
that's uh, like so it's, you know it's kind of theory versus reality a little bit so i'm i'm testing the theory by having a better model for reality and we'll, we'll kind of see how it all you know adds up <laughs> if it adds up i just want to put put that to the test i want to thank anna so much for joining us if you want to connect with her we have linked to her on our social media accounts we're profoundly pointless on twitter and instagram and we have also included her information and a link to her newest book in the episode description that's on this podcast. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring John Shaw in. Have you actually had COVID yet? I have not been diagnosed with COVID, no. How many times have you thought to yourself that you probably had it? I, I can't put a number on it. Do you think daily that you have it or have had it? Weekly? Monthly? <laughs> hourly? What are we talking about? probably three or four times since the pandemic started where I actually think, man, maybe I should have it. Now, I've had to get probably eight or nine tests done uh, because somebody that I, I, I was near or, you know, contract tracing, something like that. Um, but every time it's come back negative. So you've had that many tests done and they've all and, come back negative. Yeah. And that, that's not even counting uh, when we were in the hospital giving, uh, giving, like I gave birth, uh, when my wife gave birth to my youngest daughter in April, uh, I think I had four tests in the matter of three days while I was there, uh, for COVID. Wow. If you've, if you've had the COVID, had a COVID test, the one where they stick it in your brain and that's, it's quite uncomfortable. Uh, so I, I'm not a big fan. Okay. <laughs> what's, what's the worst test you've ever had performed on you? Oh, that's uh, it's kind of a loaded question. I would say, uh, I don't know what people people say loaded question all the time. I don't know what that means. I have no <laughs> idea what that means. I don't think most people know what it means either. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I you know I I I don't really know what it means. Uh, I I just it sounded good. You know, right? It's, yeah, like it's it's one of those things that people <laughs> say just because it sounds good, but nobody actually knows what it means. It's like it, it's a loaded question because there's two parts. One, uh, probably the worst test I've ever done was a, a stress test uh, where they were checking my heart where I was on a treadmill and it kept getting faster and faster and faster. And that just wasn't that it didn't end up good. But the most uncomfortable test was, um, you know, when they were checking uh, downstairs for for some things, you know, those as a man, maybe even a woman, though, that's never comfortable. So, what, what were they checking for? Cancer or erectile dysfunction <laughs> or STDs? Definitely ED. It was a one hundred percent ED. But so when you have such a small, you know, dick like I do, it's it's hard to tell one way or the other. Did I just right. say that out loud? Right, <laughs> right. It's it's not that it's not erect. No, it's erect. You just can't tell because it's not big enough. <laughs> That's the first thing my wife said to me. Yep, we're going to get you tested. So, uh, Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being the man and having to explain that and like, look, honey, it's <laughs> not that it's not erect. It's that my penis isn't very big. It's a pretty easy way to know who they are, too. Everybody can pretty much tell like, yep, that <laughs> guy with the lifted super duty. Yeah, <laughs> we know, buddy. We know. Are you ready for your thing? Yeah, man. Let's give uh, let's get some social media shout outs. Was that was that better? No, no, right. dude. It's never been better. <laughs> you ask me that all the time whenever you do something like that, and my answer is always no. <laughs> it's for the kids, man. The kids love it. All right. Anyways, what kids? Who told you that? <laughs> I just made it up. It sounded, uh, you know, it it sounded good. It was a, uh, you know, it was a okay. good thought. Loaded question. Let's uh, let's just keep going. Oh, here's what a loaded question is. I looked it up. <laughs> a loaded question is, are you still beating your wife? Where no matter what the person says, it's either way, you're kind of screwed. So you are completely incorrect in what you thought a loaded question was. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, well, I'm not going to ever use that again. Uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't really know how to transition to that. So we'll just start off by uh, starting on Twitter with our... Uh, Shout I out. never understand that either when people say, like, I don't know how to transition. Just continue talking. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm doing, but I had to throw in the transition there, uh, okay. making it awkward. All right. Darcy Gray, appreciate you. Uh, Randy, Peep Stone Joe, love that that handle. Uh, Linda and Swaggy McDaggy, 
uh, with the handle Tweetwood Mac. <laughs> I really love that. Maggie McDaggy with Tweetwood. <laughs> oh, wow. All Send right. that guy a t-shirt. Or a woman. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? Um, Instagram, we got uh, uh, Freddie, Ryan, Natasha, Nikolai, and Zach. It's Freddie, Ryan, two people or one person? Uh, two people. Freddie Shrosbury and Ryan Powell. I'm giving you a, a golfer's clap, you two, for no reason. Also, if 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 it's Darcy Gray, I'm pretty sure I went. If it's the person that I'm thinking of, I went to high school with her. What's up, Darcy? <laughs> Checking us out. I think she added me as a friend too, like separately. So uh, you know, that's not the Darcy Gray I know. Then <laughs> she would want nothing to do with me. All right. Uh, let's see here. For some reason, I'm not sure why, but this has come up a lot uh, in my friend circles. So that's why I'm asking you. Uh, a McRib or fillet of fish? Which one are you? Which one are you picking? Filet of fish from where? Uh, McDonald's. McDonald's and fish are things that should not go together. Like, does anybody <laughs> think that McDonald's is actually putting out there like, oh, that's probably a good piece of fish that has no sort of diseases or any kind of a bowl or anything like that at all? Like, McDonald's and fish shouldn't go together. <laughs> so McRib, right? I'm okay with suspicious meat, but I don't want to mess around with suspicious fish. Uh, I've had a McRib, I think, once in my life, and I, I will go filet of fish, uh, or filet of fish rather, every single time, hundred percent. A lot of people seem to really like the McRib. <laughs> I think it's more of just a thing, like people run out of things to say, and like, hey, what about the McRib? All right, uh, let's see. Uh, well, maybe some rib, like <laughs> rat rib, or oh. <laughs> it's not. It's probably not cow rib. No, whatever, no, general ribs comes from cows, right? Usually, uh, usually, yes. Meat expert. <laughs> I, I actually smoked uh, smoked something today. Actually, anyway. big old long piece of meat. Oh boy! Uh, all right, uh, Powerade or Gatorade? Wait a minute! Aren't you supposed to be at work and you're smoking food? Uh, I I did work today, uh, but wow. I got up, I got up at nice three a.m. to smoke meat. Yeah, to put it in the smoker, and then I got up and you know I tended it, tended wow, tended to it. You know when you're supposed to, it takes five to ten minutes. It didn't impact my workday whatsoever. Why? Is there an occasion? Uh, no, I mean, you know, it's okay, it's... dude. The, all right, this was that was a trap question, right? We have had conversations in both a humorous and a serious manner about your weight. If you're waking up at three in the morning on a Monday to smoke meat, dude. No, it's 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 actually it's it it's uh because we're trying to limit trips to the grocery store and one six pound uh pork butt can make up to a week and a half's worth of meals. Is that really what you're doing? Yeah, hundred yeah. I mean, you can make, uh, you know, once again, uh, you know, it's not the healthiest of things, uh, but it's not the worst. And there's all kinds of things you can make from it. It's delicious. And it's very little effort. Okay. Besides getting up at three o'clock in the morning on a Monday. I mean, listen, you got kids. I got kids. Well, I mean, I mean, you're always on the clock. Three o'clock Monday, five o'clock Saturday morning. It's all the same fucking thing. Why can't you just admit that you had a hankering for some pork <laughs> and so you woke up in the middle of the night and put meat on a smoker <laughs> i am not i'm not i am not gonna give you that pleasure uh i would tell you the other determining factor was it was only 99 cents a pound oh that's all you could... so... <laughs> all right you get there now you sold me once so... you go cheap then i'm like all right send me some of that meat so not what only is it it's... just mail it to me in like an envelope not only is it a value but you can freeze it and i get 20 meals out of it i mean come on man okay let's let's not push it too far but all right <laughs> my wife might be able to get 20 i'm not getting more than 10 um all right getting back on track here uh powerade or gatorade i'm gonna go with powerade but the reason is not taste related please explain i'll, I'll just go ahead and say this all right so there was a time in my life in which I would routinely have to make two to three hour drives at least once a week, like really often. I would get a Powerade bottle 
because a Powerade bottle was specifically formulated in a way in which you could easily pee into the Powerade bottle while driving and not have to stop the car. Gatorade bottle, not so much. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but I, I actually agree with you 100%. Um, yeah, it's much easier to pee into a Powerade bottle than it is a Gatorade bottle. Yeah, they are. They are. The Powerade bottles are kind of formulated almost, you know. Right. The um, The drinking area is wider than in the Gatorade bottle. The Gatorade bottle, sometimes they come in those little squirt things, and there's nothing you can do with that. But you get you like a Powerade 32, especially when they made Powerade Zero or whatever it is. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. I would treat those bottles like gold. I I, I had one with my smoked pork earlier, actually. Uh, <laughs> you're drinking Powerade at 3 in the morning? Uh, no, at dinner. You're drinking Powerade with dinner? Yeah. Why is that weird? What? Listen, first off, you know what? Why isn't that weird? I you, honestly, you can't you can't be whipping me for a single weird. thing, okay? I, who drinks Powerade with dinner? Do I need You're to even bring it to your fridge? I don't even know what's in my fridge. Oh, the fact that I have one of those fridges that you can draw something on and amuse my children so I don't have to take care of them? That's called <laughs> I mean, good parenting. I'm not the kind of guy who's drinking Powerade at dinner so he can have plenty of energy for his nap later on. <laughs> I don't I don't get why it's that weird. People drink it's water. Just, no, drink no, no one has Powerade at dinner. No one. Like, you know what? I've had a long day. Better get this Gatorade in me while I have some pork shoulder. I mean... That's actually was was kind of my thing. I was I was either have a beer, or, or have a power, and I figure Powerade is just going to taste better right now. That's what I was in the mood for was one of them cold and the other not. You actually like went to your fridge, opened up the fridge. There was a cold beer there, and there was a cold Powerade, and you went with the Powerade. Actually, I had to go into my basement where the Powerade are, and th- that's the dedication of me wanting one. And they're and not even you, in the fridge. And how do you feel now? I feel fine. I'm 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 good. I I, I enjoyed it. Do you it was feel better than you did before the Powerade. A little bit, but that probably is also because my kids are in bed and I don't have to worry about them. Okay, what flavor? Uh, what is what was it? Uh, it, it was a, a Powerade Zero. It was mixed berry, the blue one. Okay, that's a good. Yeah, that's what I went with too. All right. Anyways, I can't believe they still make those. Let's move on. Yeah, they're only okay. seventy nine cents. Another reason why I buy them. Um, All right, I like it. 32 ounce, 79 cents. That's a good deal. That's cheaper than water, which is ridiculous when you think about it. <laughs> How is Powerade cheaper than water? Uh, that, right? You know, <laughs> How I, is that possible? I have no How idea. I haven't, I haven't bought a, a, a thing of water from the store in years because we have a, one of those Brita water filters. Oh, okay. What else do you want to tell about, make fun of poor people about? Last one. Would you rather be named... Uh, would you rather have a planet named after you or an asteroid? Oh, well, <laughs> if it was going to hit the Earth or make a real close call to the Earth, I wouldn't want it to hit the Earth, right? Like, I live here, too. I don't want to blow up the Earth. That's not going to work out for me, either. For but sure. if it was going to buzz the Earth every, like, 10 to 50 years, I would definitely take the asteroid. <laughs> like, oh, here comes Vinzant. So, so that's what you would want it named is just Vinzant? Yeah, I think so. I think I would want it to be last name, right? Because <laughs> then I wouldn't, it's like, oh, it's not named after me. It's named after somebody else. Listen, man, I, I would be a planet just because I'm always going to be there. My my fat ass ain't leaving. I'm going to get me a pork shoulder and a Powerade, and I'm not moving. Where in the solar system would you want to be if you're a planet? You can't be Earth. Do you want to be closer to the sun, middle distance, or farther away? Middle distance, I think, you know, like, like maybe after Mars or near Mars. Okay. I don't really know I if that's middle, matter. but that's kind of middle. Yeah. All right. I would say the middle planets are probably Earth, Mars. Can you, all right, can you name me all the planets in order from closest to farthest away from the sun? Ooh. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I can try, but I'm going to make an ass out of myself. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Venus. Nope. No. Mer- Mercury, Venus. First of all, it's Mercury, not Mercury. <laughs> Am I right, at least? Uh, you tell me. I have no idea. Um, okay, we'll keep going. 
so Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, uh, Jupiter. This is where it gets tricky. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Saturn, your uh, Neptune, Uranus. It's pretty much just Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. That you can't. You're not entirely sure where they are. Like I don't know. And then I wonder, like, what happened to Pluto? Like, who who just decided that wasn't a planet anymore? I want to talk to that guy. Well, scientists. Well, I mean, what credibility do they have this year? Am I right? Well, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I would be. I'm okay with it, but basically, the same people who told us it was there in the first place then decided that it's no longer a planet. Like, who am I going to argue with them? That's the thing. It's hard to it's hard to argue with people who are smarter on paper than you. It really is, right? Like, if you don't even know where to find Pluto, how are you going to argue about if it's a planet or not? <laughs> yeah, like I said, just give me some pork and a Powerade, and I'll just sit there and do whatever you want me to do. PPP, pork, Powerade, and Pluto. That's all John wants. <laughs> all right. I, I I feel like we're talking too much about pulled pork, which is... Yeah. Man, so basically what you did is you woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pull your pork. <laughs> that I believe. That I absolutely believe. Well, and you would then get a Powerade afterwards because you were tired. <laughs> that I absolutely believe. Uh, moving on to our top five. So our top five is top five things about space. And we tried to make this basically as broad as possible. This can be anything space-related. It can be movies. It can be constellations, planets, stars, inventions, whatever. It just has to have some connection to space. What's your number five? Uh, I'm going to start off with black holes. Ooh. Okay. All right. Why? You know, I don't really have a reason. I'm fascinated by them, but I'm not entirely sure what they are or why i'm even fascinated i just you know I, I know that they've been connected possibly to other other life forms things like that you know uh crazy wow. radio signals coming out of them okay these could, all, these could all be conspiracy theories that were debunked for all I yeah know. Um, there's, there's for anybody listening to this there's a hundred percent chance that we could have complete total lack of knowledge about any of the things that we're talking about. I'm pretty sure that just talking about black holes, John said four things that were incorrect right there, <laughs> right? Like there's not other life forms living in black holes that we know of. Okay. Imagine that I am your daughter and I ask you, daddy, what's a black hole? Okay. Give me your answer. Educate me. Can I ask a- you why she sounds like she's been smoking marbles for the last 25 years? She's gravelly, man. She's rugged. <laughs> Uh, let's see if I do explain a black hole to my daughter, I would say, uh, it's in space. It's dark. You don't want to go in one. Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> so um, no one's listening to this for us to educate them. No, on. Anything. I just want to see how you would explain it. <laughs> right. You're so fascinated by it. How would you explain a black hole? Um, <laughs> it's a gigantic vacuum in space. Yeah. That's okay. There. Yeah. That's, I, I think actually that's probably pretty correct. My number five is Velcro. Did Velcro come from space? Came from the space program. Yes, it did. One okay. of many inventions to come from the space program. I just so happen to like Velcro. It's pretty sweet. What's the best item you have that has Velcro on it? Besides hmm. your bedroom straps. Well, right now I would. Yeah. <laughs> Besides what me and Mrs. Vincent like to get into, which is mainly playing board games. <laughs> Oh, hi, son. Good thing my four-year-old son walked in right at that moment. Hey, Logan. How are you, buddy? What are you doing? Come here. I got two gummies. You got two gummies? Oh, well. All right. Well, I had two for you. Oh, did you bring me any? Hopefully those are the the, uh, the, uh, non-infused gummies. Through that microphone. Yeah, to, Dad's talking to to Uncle John. Oh, I'm gonna, how does that? Standing cry. here holding his wiener like all four year old boys do, <laughs> just holding the wiener at all times. <laughs> Logan, can you shut the door, please? Thanks, buddy. Wow, it's a good kid you got there. 
Uh, so was that it? Is that all you had to say about your number five there of, of Velcro? Oh, yeah. Velcro is great. Other things that have come from the space program, I bet you can't name three things that came from the space program as inventions. Not, no, I can't, actually. Okay. All right. What's your number four? <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, I have astronauts. Ooh, I forgot about that. Who's your favorite astronaut? Uh, you know, I, I have to be a sucker, and I have to say John Glenn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you know anything about him at all? Um, I mean, I, I uh, to a certain degree, and, and no, by no means am I going to pretend to be, you know, uh, his biographer, but uh, um, I know a little bit about him. I also know that uh, the state he hails from, Ohio, uh, has sent the most people into space because, well, no one wants to stay in Ohio. Taking a shot at, and John is from Michigan, claims <laughs> to be from Detroit, actually from outside of Detroit, as has been recently revealed through... <laughs> subsequent conversations my number four is the big dipper is it just because it's called the big dipper no it's because it's the only one that i can reliably find <laughs> uh yeah i mean I, I think i can find some of the um uh like virgo and cancer and things but no, yeah yeah <laughs> find, no. a Vir- find a Virgo by looking in the mirror. <laughs> no, no, no joke. Uh, because of the pandemic, that that was me and my wife's date nights. A lot of the night, uh, a lot of the summer, were to go out in her backyard, have some drinks, and uh, gaze up at the stars. Holy shit, my really? life is over. Wow. So you can actually find like Virgo and Cancer and those things. You can actually find it in the night sky. Yeah, uh, I mean. My wife is better, but um, yeah, and you know, like this summer, there was all kinds of planets that were very visible. It was, it it was fun. It was it was a good time, and you're outside. You know, it's 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 a good time. Did you uh, bring a binoculars or a telescope, or did you just go naked eye? <laughs> no, you can just you, most things you can just see with the naked eye. Okay. Did you ever think of investing in <laughs> any sort of thing to maybe further this hobby of yours? <laughs> No, man. Come on now. Because once you start buying stuff, then I won't stop. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I'll have a fridge, you know, that has a LED screen on the front of it. First of all, it came with the house <laughs> when I bought the house. What am I going to do? Tell them, to, no, give me a crappy fridge. Give me one of those old green ones from the 70s. I just love giving you shit. Stop. Um, all right. All right. My uh, my number. Wait, did you say your number three? Yeah. Wow, why um, are you so jealous of my fridge? Uh, I just, you know, you... You talk a lot about, you know, not, uh, you know, this and that, having this. And, you know, I'm specifically me on this podcast. And here you take a picture and you have a friggin', you know, artificial intelligence fridge. Oh, wait a minute. Is this because I made fun of you for spending four ninety nine on a piece of equipment that blocks your camera on your computer? <laughs> Just FYI. Uh, and now you think like, oh, he's got a nice fridge. <laughs> He wastes money, too. I mean, listen, it came with the house, so technically you haven't paid a dime for it. Right. I guess. Um, well, that's not how it works. But. Yeah, it isn't. But, uh, you know, it, no one cares. All right. Is it my number three? Yeah. I like how your your new bailout is no one cares. <laughs> You're uh, like, like a computer that doesn't know what to do, so it just reboots. <laughs> uh, I have Star Wars. Oh, I'm surprised you put it on there. I'm surprised you put it on there. I have Star Wars 2. Oh, no. Okay. My Star- Whoa, my number three is Star Wars 2. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, too. That's much <laughs> higher than I would have thought that you would have put it. I mean, I, I gave it a lot of thought in terms of, you know, you have to put something multimedia on there. And in terms of space, even though it's a fictional universe, I mean, what's bigger than Star Wars? Yeah. There's really nothing else that even comes close in terms of space stuff. I mean, Star Trek, I guess, maybe? Don't be ridiculous. I, Star I, Trek is a quality program, but it has nowhere near the cultural significance of Star Wars. It's not even close. I, I'm not trying to argue it. I was just throwing it out there. What would be the third? If you went like space-themed movies or franchises, it's clearly Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, Alien's probably up there. I think Predator's probably up there for a lot of people. No, huh? All right, what's your number two? Uh, so it was kind of difficult, but I hope this makes sense. Uh, I just have NASA as my number two. That's legitimate. Kind, kind of like everything all-encompassing, you know, 
uh just just nasa in general okay i have shooting stars everybody loves a shooting star i i've seen plenty of them oh on your dates <laughs> where you stare at the sky ponder life for some reason i said that and i like i started to cower in my chair like oh i just served him up a softball yeah. yeah you did hey by uh by the way december what's your candle of the month <laughs> uh i actually uh just bought um one that is supposed i haven't start- tried it yet uh but one that is supposed to smell like uh um winter pine so i'm pretty excited mm. about that how much cost uh 10 bucks all right is that an expensive candle or a cheap candle i don't know much about candles uh it's 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 a three wick candle three wick it's usually pretty expensive but i got it on sale uh from 26 bucks down to 10 bucks so yankee candle uh bed bath uh and body works actually did you go into the store or did you order it online? <laughs> I ordered it online. That's why I haven't gotten it yet. Ah, uh, now, now, when you go online to look at your various candles, like what's your first go-to? John Shaw needs a new candle. What's his first click? Uh, Bath and Body Works, usually. Um, okay. Gift card or a rewards program? Y- yeah, you, you have to, man. Come on. You have to. Um, All right. I will say uh, I'm interested to see how the the Drake one is. Apparently, it smells like him. Drake has a candle. Yeah, and it's supposed to smell like Drake, whatever that is. You think it really smells like Drake? Like, how would they just tell him? You know what, Drake, you stink, <laughs> right? This smells like sweat and desperation. <laughs> So I mean, we got to change this up a little bit. I I'm going to go out on a limb and say 100 percent chance that's not what Drake smells like. <laughs> I don't know anything about Drake, but I can tell you that I I don't I don't like him, even though I, I know nothing about him, and I don't understand why people think he's so fantastic. He writes good hooks. He really does. Like he's the guy that his chorus is. It's it's really good. Uh, final question about the candles, real quick. Um, when you are selecting a new candle for people who haven't, or maybe new to this podcast, John is a huge candle fan. He <laughs> spends, what, what's your candle budget yearly? Oh, I mean, probably between a hundred and 200 bucks. So that means 400 in reality. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, you know, you figure each candle is 10 bucks, give or take in, in a weird way. So, I mean, it's between 15 and 25 new candles a year. Okay. So if each one, if you have 25 candles at 10 bucks, that's $250, which is why I initially said your <laughs> real budget is probably close to $400 in candles. Yeah, probably because, you know, you, like I said, you get the ones that are and 25. you're making fun of my fridge <laughs> and you spend $400 in candles. Listen, we, we each have, you know, we each have our, our cruxes. But this also makes a lot of sense because if you're spending $400 a year in candles, and waking up at three in the morning to smoke, to, to pull pork, then that's probably why you need to spend that much money in candles. <laughs> Listen, my number one is uh, like a cloud. <laughs> no, nobody cares. Let's move on. Um, my number one, pretty simple, pretty boring. Uh, just stars, just the stars. Oh, okay. No, so. that's a mine is the sun. It's the most important star. Because okay. without it, we would all, I mean, we wouldn't exist, but I, I agree. I like your list. This is this is probably the li- best list you've had in terms of where you didn't say something that I completely disagreed with. <laughs> Which, that's why no one's listening right now, because they listen just to hear you badger me and for me to say off-the-wall shit. Right. For and you. They also, they also listen to your candle tips as well. Wait, there has so been a couple big... people on, on social media that have asked for my candle tips. No, the, honestly, if you need candles, you hit up the real Shawl or at <laughs> real Shawl or whatever ridiculous Twitter handle he has. The man does know a lot about candles. Thank you. I'm actually changing it to meat smoker. So, yeah, <laughs> that probably going to get a lot of. Oh wait, I didn't mean interest- it to sound like that. <laughs> probably going to get a lot of interesting follows. No, dude, that'll work out, Wardy. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, I have uh, mostly multimedia stuff. Uh, Independence Day, Comets. Uh, I put, I did put Virgo down just because that's my uh, astrological symbol. Um, 
Uh, I have spacesuits. Oh, now it now it comes together why you found Virgo. Because you looked up your astrological sign and wanted to find Virgo. Like, I'm going to find my sign. Let's see. I also have Predator, Apollo oh 13. Oh, my God. I can see uh, you in your conversation with Armageddon out there. You're like, honey, honey, um, look up Virgo. That's my sign. I want to see what my constellation is. Isn't are, that how that conversation went? Are, are you done? Just tell me the truth. Is that how that conversation went? That you guys were outside looking up at the stars and you thought, I want to know where my astrological sign is. <laughs> and then you looked it up and went and found it. It's not like you just happened to find Virgo. You are correct. Yes. Okay. What's in your honorable mention? I actually don't have any. I was too focused on, on this conversation. I'm pretty much all the inventions, man. Like, I like everything generally about space. Like, Black Hole is definitely up there. Those giant supernova explosions, that's up there. Space balls, <laughs> that's up there. Tang, pretty good. <laughs> Tang was a was a space invention? Oh, yeah. Got to some flavor up in space. Wow, okay. Did not know that. Rockets? I mean, rockets are pretty cool. Oh, yeah, dude. Rockets are... I forgot about rockets. Those are pretty fantastic. Space shuttle? Yeah, I put NASA. So, I mean, that was kind of just... Kind that of was covers everything. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I think the sun is a pretty solid number one. It's really hard to top it, right? It's pretty much the most important thing in space for us, at least right now. But other than that, man, you can really make an argument for a lot of space stuff. So let us know what's in your top five. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.